I've been doing a series uh, this summer, or the last part of the summer, uh, just kind of through selected psalms, and uh, this will probably be the last one we do this summer, but uh, Psalm 12 is a really good one um, to kind of get in the mindset of where David was as he wrote this psalm, which is real helpful to get the context of what we're dealing with, as many of these I found great encouragement in, in my own life as we... Um, as I go through struggles, though I'm not going through the same thing David was going through, I'm not being chased for my life, I'm not, you know, but there are a lot of parallels as we go through trials, we go through times of even persecution, um, difficulties, sickness, ailments, various things, and they're a great encouragement. But in this time, Saul was going, chasing after him, and that's kind of where this, this uh, psalm is directed, as Saul is chasing him, as well as uh, considering those who were kind of on Saul's side. And I think a great title for this, uh, this psalm would be uh, uh, Good Thoughts in Bad Times. And as we start off, uh, the psalmist writes, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. And as he kind of kicks this off, he, he goes to the right place, by the way. He starts off at the right place. And he says, help, Lord. Why? The godly man ceaseth. The faithful fail from among the children of men. And, uh, you know, I kind of, it kind of reminds me of uh, the prophet after uh, the great uh, 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 battle there against the prophets of Baal and the great victories. And then Jezebel was going after him. And he, he said, I'm the only one that's left, <laughs> right? And, uh, and it's very easy to say, there's no godly men that are standing anymore. No one's taking a stand. And we need to be careful not to run to such extremes. But I like this because when men are failing, when there are no godly or faithful around, and we're kind of considering, where are, they, where are they? I like what he does because he starts off, help, Lord. He looks upward. And, uh, and that's, that's, uh, that's where the, the attention is drawn, the right place, by the way. And, then, and he starts to, to explain what's going on. These people that he's writing about, these people that he's trying to deal with, says they speak vanity, everyone to his neighbor. Um, vanity, by the way, uh, you know, that word shows up a lot. It's kind of that idea of emptiness, just, uh, just air. They're speaking air. They're speaking vanity. Uh, it's, for them, it's, they're saying it's vain to believe, you know. Uh, many times, David, in his writings, he'll, he, in these Psalms, he says things like, uh, you know, they say to me, where is thy God? They say to me, you know, where, you know, they're, they're challenging his faith. And, and I think these people in their vanity, they're, uh, they're, they're challenging with this, you know, it's vain to believe. You know, what, what, what's going on here? It's vain to trust, as he's calling out help, Lord. It's vain to regard uh, their God. Uh, um, uh, it's all about their, themselves. It's all about pride. This is what we see there. He says, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. With flattering lips and a double heart. By the way, be careful of uh, people that flatter with their lips. That's mentioned in Proverbs as well. Uh, I like what Charles Spurgeon said about these flattering lips. He says, He who puffs up another's heart has nothing better than wind in his own. <laughs> He who puffs up another's heart has nothing better than wind in his own. You got to be careful for those that are kind of always just flatter. You're like, What? what's your angle? What's going on here trying to puff up my heart? But, uh, but it's interesting here, he says, flattering lips and, a, uh, uh, and with a double heart do they speak. Uh, that double-heartedness, uh, there, there are two angles, there's two uh, sides of this. Are you sneaking around? Are you going to join us? 
And, uh, uh, but, uh, but this is the concept where they're coming from. And so, so then he goes from talking to God to kind of saying, here's what God's going to do. God, the Lord shall cut off all flattering lips with the tongue that speaketh proud things. Who, uh, who have said, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own, who is Lord over us? And so here he, start, he says, uh, here's what God's going to do. He's going to cut off all flattering lips. Those, those that are they're speaking the words, they're puffing up, but again, their words are vain, they're empty. That, that, that empty heart, the heart full of air is trying to puff up the, the other heart. And he says, God's going to deal with that. You know, I'm reminded when Jesus was dealing with those Pharisees, and he said to them, he said, every idle word is going to be brought up uh, at the day of judgment. Every idle word. And, and so these flattery lips, that's what's going on. These, they're idle words. They're vain. And it says, and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Interesting, God kind of, kind of touches on two things that are hated here. These, these flattery lips and pride. And really, pride is the flattery of self. It's, uh, it's I've lifted myself up in this position. And it says, who has said... Uh, these people, here's what they've said, with our tongue will prevail. I can talk myself uh, through any situation with my tongue. I can say the right words. I can, I can con the right people uh, with my tongue. What they're saying is our lips are our own. You know, the Bible says in James, talking about the tongue, he says that it's, a, it's an unruly evil. It kind of has all these things. But it says, it says a tongue is uh, something that no man can tame. And uh, it's interesting. Here's what they're saying. Our tongue's our own. And, uh, and they're challenging this question, who is Lord over us? By the way, we ought to be very careful um, with that kind of a mindset. Who is Lord over us anyway? Who, 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 who's going to correct me? Who's big enough to change my direction, to change uh, what I'm dealing with? That's a, that's a terrifying thought to kind of get to that place uh, to where you're bigger than correction, to where I'm bigger than being found out. I'm bigger than, you know, who is Lord over me? Even today, or even this week, I heard of another leader in evangelicalism, if I can say that, that uh, resigned uh, his position because of some wicked things being found out. It's a shame every time. But, uh, but that's where we get to that point. Well, who's Lord over me? You know, believers can fall into this trap. Who's Lord over me? I answer to self. Uh, my lips are going to get me through this. My smooth talking or, or what have you. And verse number five, interesting uh, uh, passage here, or part here. So, so he calls out to God. He says what God's going to do. Verse five, for the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. Now he's, he's kind of saying, here's what God's going to say. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. Here's the response of a father from a crying child. Here, here's what's going on. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy. That's, you get to that place where you're so oppressed, if you would, and you're so uh, uh, poor, whether it be in, in this physical poverty or just in this place like David finds himself of being attacked in this position that he's in. Um, it, 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 you get to this place where the best thing that can come out of you is simply sighing. The sighing of the needy. And, and to, you know, by the way, God hears a sigh. God understands exactly what that sigh meant, you know. I don't know if you've ever been so overwhelmed with, uh, with care 
that you really can't even put it to words. You know you ought to be praying, and you're trying to bring it to the Lord, but you just get to the place where it's just this, uh, for better, lack of a better word, a holy sigh. <laughs> you just, ah, I don't know what to say. And uh, I love it because God hears it. God's response to the sighing of the needy, the oppression of the poor, is this. Now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffed at him. This, this complaint, as David's saying, help, Lord, as you start off, help, Lord, God says, I'm going to step in. I'm going to take care of this. Him that's puff, puffing at him, him that's, that's flattering with the lips and all this, I'm going to keep him at safety from all that. As it's tearing at him, it's oppressing him to the point that the best he can do is come out and sigh. And I love this, you know, many times when you look at this, you're like, I don't know, is God really going to step in on these little petty issues in my life? Uh, you know, I understand that one day God's going to make everything right. He's going to balance everything. Uh, I think about uh, uh, the millennial kingdom, of course, where Christ is going to rule and reign. He's going to exercise perfect justice. I think about the judgment, uh, the great white throne judgment, where, where he's going to judge the wicked, uh, uh, all of these things. But, uh, but I love it how, how God from time to time steps in and he's not necessarily saying at this point that I'm going to take care, I'm going to destroy them. But he says, I'm just going to go ahead and set him at safety from them. I'm going to put this hedge, I'm going to put this protection. And there are times where God will even punish and God will even take care of those that are oppressing and, and, uh, and, and going against God's children, so to speak. But, but, but I love it how even in all that, he's going to let them, them kind of go on, if you would. But he's going to say, you know, what? I'm going to guard, I'm going to protect my child. This is the response of a father with a, with a child that's crying out, saying, God, I don't know what else to do. I, I'm at my wit's end as, as they're, they're against me and they're, they're after me and they're siding with the wrong, on the wrong side and, and everywhere I turn, and they're against me. And now God just kind of responds and says, you know what, I'm going to set him at safety in this circumstance. And in verse number 6, he says, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. I like how he says, the words of the Lord are pure words. He just talked about vanity. He just talked about the vain words. The, 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 the words that were flattering, the words that were double-hearted, the words that were speaking proud things, the words that they were saying, our tongue's going to get us through this. Our tongue is where we're going to go with this. And he says, you know, you can't depend on that. That's all vanity. But I'll tell you what you can bank on, what you can depend on. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace, purified seven times, they're incredibly pure. There is no, there's no vanity about them. These aren't artificial. These aren't uh, counterfeit. They're absolutely pure, just as pure as silver tried in the furnace, purified seven times. He says, Thou shalt keep them. God keeps his word. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. What a wonderful resolve that, uh, that the psalmist comes to as he talks about this situation and and. and and no doubt what he's at, the, the, he must have been experiencing some really attacking words. He must have been experiencing some words, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they were, these guys were uh, on Saul's side, but they were trying to flatter David to try to bring him into a trap. I don't know all the situation that he was going through, but no doubt there were words that couldn't be trusted, but he turns this back around about God and his word. God, your word can be trusted. You are true. You are faithful. You are, uh, you are the one that, that, 
that, uh, that I can depend on. And quite frankly, I love this because remember in verse 1, he says, uh, for the godly men ceaseth, the faithful fail from among the children of men. Uh, in other words, there's, there's no one else left. And I love this because, because, let me just say, there have been seasons in life, and there are seasons, no doubt, even in, in church history as we look at it, where the Word of God's under attack, and people are trying to, to, to minimize it and diminish it, and to say, wait a minute, we really don't have the complete Word of God, and they're attacking all this. But he says this, Thou shall keep them, O Lord. God is the one who preserves his word. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. It's interesting how the doctrine of the preservation of Scripture is under attack. Well, we don't really, can't really say we have God's word today. You know, after all these generations, all this time has gone by, and he's very specific from this generation forever, but it's, it's not up to us. It's up to God. He will preserve his word and Unlike these flattering lips and these people that are depending on their own vain words and speaking vanity to their neighbor and so forth, he says, God, your words are pure words, and you are going to keep them. You are going to preserve them. And then verse number 8. This is interesting because usually, this, usually David does not end on a sour note. But here he comes back around. He says, the wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. You know, it's a very dangerous thing when we start to exalt vile men. And, uh, you know, we need to even be careful. You know, I sure appreciate everything, uh, for example, our president has done. And, uh, but he's not Jesus. <laughs> I think sometimes the way some people talk about him, you're like, are we talking about the same guy here? But whether it be that or, or you know, you think of how people exalt um, uh, sports stars or what have you. Hey, they're good in their area. They're good in their, in their little area, but they start stepping out of that, and what are they doing? They're giving life advice. You know, you're having people speaking out about these, uh, these killings and things. They know nothing about, you know, these recent things. And, oh, they start giving political advice. I love, I love how all of a sudden all these actors are, uh, are political experts, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and what's happening? When we exalt the wicked or the vilest of men, when they're exalted, what do we start to see? Wicked walk on every side. Because we're kind of paving the way. What have I done? I've exalted this wickedness, and what starts to happen? Or this vileness, wickedness starts to, starts to uh, we're tolerating this kind of stuff. And, and you, you look in, in, in David's situation here as, as Saul is after him, and he's saying, the vilest of men are exalted. They're put in this position. They're lifted up. And what happens? All the little minions be, that are falling behind him, they're, they're kind of just abounding in their wickedness because the one that's exalted is vile. But this is a great ending, not because David kind of puts a sour note on it, but because this brings back the cycle of the whole reason for the psalm. And that is the very first two words. Help, Lord. The fact that vile men have been exalted and the fact that wicked men walk on every side ought to bring our attention back around to say again, help Lord. In verse 1 he's saying, I'm having trouble finding godly men. I'm having trouble finding good men that walk in integrity. I'm having trouble finding people that have good sound speech. What are we seeing? We're seeing 
vile speech. We're seeing vanity in their speech. We're seeing flattery in their speech. We're seeing pride in their speech. We're seeing them trusting in themselves and saying, there's no God that's going to judge us. There's no God that's going to see us accountable. And, 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 and he comes back and he says, God, all I have left now is to hold on to your word. By the way, that's a great place to be, really, getting us back down to the basics. Don't we see ourselves in this today? We're going to look around, and I'm thankful for good, godly men, but when we're putting our trust there, we, we get ourselves in such trouble. Well, we're at one of the places I went to, a Bible college. I say one of the places. I think so far I'm up to about seven colleges I've gone to. And, uh, uh, but one of the ones where I uh, probably got most of my schooling done uh, was on the campus of a church that used to be thriving in the, uh, in the 90s. They used to have huge revivals there. John R. Rice and Jack Hiles would hold big old meetings there, and they'd pack this place out. About 2,000 people were at this church. And, uh, and the pastor uh, fell into sin and fell out of the ministry. And they had this huge, beautiful building right off the main highway, uh, Interstate 10, right there. And, uh, and, the, and the building's beautiful. It, it's in the shape where it kind of looks like a giant crown. And it's got these stained glass gems of like jewels in the crown. And just, it's just a neat design, beautiful building. And the church there, uh, there's a man that's been pastoring that church and just trying to, trying to restore what's left. And uh, they couldn't even afford to meet in that building because of how much it costs to cool in the summer in Southern California. They had to meet in one of their side classrooms. And the church is running. They're doing, they're doing pretty healthy. They're up to about 100 or so. But, but I have to ask myself, you know, where did all the people go? You know, and this, this story can be repeated over and over and over again. And we say, where did the people go? Well, what happened was they were putting their confidence in these men. The men are going to fail. Even the most faithful and the most godly, not, not to sound like a downer, but, but we look at this and people are going to speak vanity and they're going to get to this place. But, but, but we have to come to the place of verse 6 and 7 where we have such a confidence in the word of God that his words are pure words. That his words are true words. That his words are going to stand the test of time. God himself is going to preserve his word. You ever ask this question? I'm sure, I'm sure you have. Um, what good would it be for God to inspire his word if he didn't then preserve his word? You know, I, I love these, mission, or these uh, uh, doctrinal statements of churches or institutions that will say, uh, we believe the scriptures to be inspired in the originals don't exist anywhere, <laughs> okay? Um, the oldest that we have is about, a, is about 100 years uh, removed from the time of the writing. That's the oldest. There's a couple of books uh, of the New Testament. But, uh, but I'll tell you, we don't have originals anywhere. I wish I could go in a time machine and, and, and warn Paul, look, we need to make sure, uh, for sake of debate, that you enclose in glass you know, your first draft, your original copy of these letters that you're writing to the churches, you know, and uh, we didn't do that, and uh, they didn't think about that, I'm, uh, maybe they did, I don't know, but uh, was that they would worship it, yeah, and that would be the problem, but, um, but, you know, just like David, thousands of years removed, and then we're reminded again in the New Testament, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And you have this theme reiterated, understanding that we have to have our confidence here, not in men. Because the reality is the wicked do walk on every side. 
excuse me, they do walk on every side, and, and, and this has to be where our confidence lies. And then it's also got to be where our help lies as we call out from, from, turning from the pages of Scripture back to a holy God who loves us and cares for his child, who, who at the worst of times, uh, all he can do is, is utter out sighings. And we say, help, Lord. And he steps in and says, I'm going to protect and I'm going to save. And uh, it's an amazing thought that there is still salvation in the Lord. And of course, we have the salvation that is through Jesus Christ, but, but I, I'd say in this life, we do have a day-to-day even uh, salvation where God guides us and God even protects us from evil and, and protects us from those that, that, that would uh, not only do harm, but even, even um, uh, sidestep, if you would, God's will in your life or cause us to be derailed. And that's, that's why in the model prayer, Jesus said, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's that's this, that's protecting, that's kind of keeping us from all that. And uh, I just, I, I really think we ought to, with David, stay humble and simply say, help, Lord. Help, Lord, there's, there's vanity, there's, there's lies, there's, there's all this stuff going on. Help, Lord, I'm going to trust in your word. I'm going to trust in you, I'm not going to trust in, in all this stuff. But help, Lord. And so, kind of a short message, a short thoughts tonight, but... Uh, Good thoughts and bad times. What do you do when people are after you? What do you do when there's lies? What do you do when there's flattery lips? What do you do when you feel like the faithful are falling all around you? Well, you do like you do in good times. You look to the Lord. Trust in his word. I just think we're reminded of it so much more in those times. I'm reminded of last, last fall into the winter. Um, there was that young man that... Uh, committed suicide, and my wife and I, we were meeting with uh, the mother and, and the father, and it was like the next day, and they're still just so distraught, they'd not slept, they didn't know which way was up, and uh, we took her to one of the Psalms and kind of shared with them and, uh, and, uh, and prayed, and, and my wife had said to, uh, to the grieving mother that during this time, she said, uh, let the word of God become your best friend. To become your best friend, and uh, I remember that that moved me as my wife said that, and and um, they had family members that were there, and several people had visited during the the, the course of these couple of days, and and uh, she had assured us she had said, you know, you, what you guys shared with them was probably the best thing that they have heard since uh, this whole ordeal went down, and and uh, you know it's in those times I think we got to be reminded and come back to the fact that 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 comfort that consolation. The Word of God. And then coming to, of course, the God of the Word, as we simply say, help, Lord. <laughs> help, Lord. And so, well, that's a blessing. Why don't we, uh, we have a word of prayer?